the room was done. The room was done. I was done. Like my daughter found Jesus through the work I did. What? Come on. Like she's a pastor's kid. Like she doesn't automatically know God just because we're pastors. She found him for real, for real, and locked in her soul to the things of the Lord when she saw her mom facing her stuff. We love knowing and keeping secrets. It makes us feel loved. It makes us feel important. It makes us feel valued. But that is the best kept secret. We are loved by the creator of the universe. This season, we are coming together with some of the most confident women that you will ever meet to discover the secret to moving beyond insecurity. If it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out, then Queen, we've got some work to do. Let's get to it. Hey y'all, it's me Liv and I am so incredibly grateful that you have chosen to join me for this podcast. It is such an honor to do life with you. I cannot thank you enough for your time. I cannot thank you enough for the gift of your presence. I cannot thank you enough for your attention and I... Just pray that you feel more courageous and more confident in the Lord as a result of the conversations that we are having right here today. This conversation that we're having today means so much to me, and I'm going to get into that. But y'all, it is episode 50. It's episode 50. (laughs) And As someone who didn't even want to start a podcast, I can't tell you, I cannot tell you what it means to me to see what the Lord has done with our time together. For those of you that may not have listened back to some of the earlier episodes, I didn't want to start a podcast. I was intimidated by it. I didn't know how. And after a year, of thinking about this podcast in December of 2020, I could not sleep without dreaming of this podcast. That Christmas, my husband bought me a microphone and I hadn't even told him I wanted to podcast. So I believe that the Lord caused him to gift me that microphone to really telling me that this was what he wanted me to do. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Today, our conversation means so much to me because I heard our guest being talked about, mind you, being talked about (laughs) by her husband in the winter. I'm connected with a church called National Community Church, and I have the honor to be on their prayer team And even though they're in D.C., I just bless the Lord for the gift of technology. I have a local church here, His Word, Supalabra, that I enjoy being a part of. 
But I'm just grateful for the body of Christ at large and how we get to be a part of the capital C church when we come into the body of Christ. And so I was listening to the revival that National Community Church hosted this past winter. And a pastor by the name of Jimmy Rollins began to share his testimony. And my goodness, the anointing was palpable, even though I wasn't even in the space. I had chills just running up and down my arms. And as he began to talk about his wife and the book that she was coming out with, y'all, I just began to say aloud, I want to read this book. I want to read this book because the way that he talked about her testimony made me feel like I needed to get this book in my hand and I needed to hear what it was that she had to say from her perspective. My goodness, y'all. This is a power couple, if there ever was one, a power couple in Christ. And today, Irene Rollins is here with us. This is one of those things that only God could have done. And it feels like a special gift for episode 50. My sister and I have a lot of commonalities that you will hear throughout our time together. And um, it's just a testament to God's faithfulness. Today, I would like to invite you to meditate on Revelation 12, 10 through 11 with me. I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. And it says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to death. <laughs> I am so emotional about the power that we access when we choose to come into Christ. The accuser of our brethren who accused us as he accused our brothers and sisters before our God day and night has been cast down. This fight is fixed. And I want you to know mm. that you don't have to be ashamed. <laughs> as I've mentioned, my guest today is Irene Rollins. And she is passionate about physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health of all people. As a certified emotional intelligence coach, she loves to study human behavior, enabling her to understand a wide variety of people, guiding them to be the best version of themselves through her teaching, writing, and coaching. Irene's fervency to help others overcome their self-defeating habits comes from her life experience as an overcomer of alcohol addiction and trauma. 
Irene models accountability and often reminds those in the addiction community to do the work. And if you aren't working on your recovery, you're working on your relapse. After almost 25 years in full-time ministry, serving as senior pastors of a thriving church called I-5 City, Irene and her husband, Jimmy, felt a shift in their ministry focus. Irene and Jimmy founded the ministry of two equals one with a mission to help build strong marriages that result in healthy families that impact our communities for the better. In her downtime, Irene enjoys reading, exercising, cooking, and clowning around with her husband, Jimmy, their children, Kayla, Jaden, and Maya, and her two English bulldog babies. Reframe Your Shame is now available nationwide. Let's get into this conversation. Irene, it is such a pleasure to talk with you and spend this time with you. How are you doing today? I am doing great, and I am so honored to be on this podcast because, like I said earlier, you speak my language. We're cut from the same cloth, uh, just about emotional health and talking about these things in the body of Christ. And just, I love it. I love your podcast. I love everything about you. So I love your guests. Like, they're amazing. So it's an honor. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for saying that. I've already told everybody just what it, what it meant to really have you come onto this podcast because I really feel as if this is something that only God could have done. We have so many similarities in our story. I went to about 12 different schools. I dealt with an alcohol dependency at a very young age, very young age. And I honor the message that you are sharing and the transparency and the strength that you're exhibiting every single time you share it. Now, we do have some incredible differences. I went to 12 different schools in the same town. You went to 12 different schools across the world and traveled during your freshman year in high school to, you know, Europe and across Europe and through Egypt. Tell us just a little bit about, you know, your childhood and how you grew up. Sure. I, I'm biracial. So my mom is Zambian. So from Zambia, and she met my dad there. My dad was working there as a missionary, and uh, he's Caucasian American, first generation from Canada. So like he loved Africa. He just wanted to plant there and do his life work there. So we ended up there uh, all throughout our lives as we traveled back and forth between the U.S. and Africa. So I lived in Cameroon. I lived in Mali. Um, so I lived in the Sahel Desert. Can you believe that? <laughs> and it's crazy. And so the times we were in in Africa, you, the American schools only go up to a certain age. So they shipped us off to boarding school. And the, the boarding school I went to was in Switzerland. So I lived in the Swiss Alps and had the privilege of skiing, like mandatory skiing three days a week. Like it, it was crazy. And little thing that not a lot of people know about me is that I came in third place in an amateur. No, wait, I won that one. Okay, sorry. Correction to the story. I got a gold medal in an amateur downhill ski competition. 
That is intense. Like I took advantage of every moment that I was there because I knew that I might not ever experience that again and what a privilege it was. So just being able to travel the world and um, with my dad's work and see these places that you study about in history books. And my dad had a love for education. So I spent a lot of time. I'm a, an avid learner. I love to learn. So um, it was a fun childhood. I can't complain. I, you know, there were some uh, little T's and big T's, little traumas and big traumas all along the way. But uh, I'm so grateful for my parents giving me that experience. Absolutely. My goodness. I know that you have an incredibly wide reach within your ministry because of that. And I'm grateful that God positions you to experience those different, um, you know, just adventures, because I know that you can just resonate with so many different people based upon that. It's such a beautiful, such a beautiful testimony. You know, you, I was really struck by this time, this little story that you shared about when you were 10 years old and your father returned from working overseas and you, this little girl, were so excited to see him. And yet you extended your hand to welcome him back instead of running into his arms. And you mentioned it was there that you first learned how to detach from your emotions, to project those emotions. And so I want to just kind of understand what kind of issues happened as a result of this early lesson in detachment uh, early on? Great question. So my dad went overseas to work and um, he would leave for periods of time. So when I was nine, eight, nine, he left um, to go work in Cameroon and he was gone for two years. And I was devastated when he left and what I made up about that. I like to say that. So I take full responsibility for the my the lenses that um, I saw that through, um, trauma is subjective. So the way the ten, the little girl saw her dad going overseas to work was rejection, abandonment. He doesn't love me, even though the truth was he was working to support our family. And uh, when he came ba back, that rejection that was inside of me, that abandonment that I wasn't good enough, I unconsciously and unknowingly. Um, began to believe this script that I wasn't enough. And the way our family um, struggled while he was gone was, you can imagine an African woman in the U.S. during those years, early 80s, <laughs> by herself with six kids. I mean, it was rough. It was rough. We So we had a really hard time. And um, when he came back, I mean, I just detached from him because that was the thing that I needed to do to survive. Again, did I consciously know I was doing that? No. But what I have learned about human behavior is that we are going to protect ourselves from pain. We'll either numb and medicate <laughs> or stuff. Stuff and deny pain, avoid things of that nature. So that's how what I did. I detached from him. But the impact of that was not being able to relate with people, with a caretaker. So then that's shaping me into who I would become as an adult. So our caretakers impact us, right? So he here he here I'm feeling um rejected and he wasn't really a lovey dovey, you know, cuddle kind of person. 
that's totally cool. His personality, not a bad thing. But um, the, when I got into my early teens and uh, what have you, I 100% became promiscuous, looking for love in all the wrong places. I just needed to fill that void and feel loved and feel like somebody wasn't going to leave me. So I clung to pretty much unhealthy relationships where I was trying really hard, again, unconsciously to not relive, but almost get back something I didn't get in my childhood. So I was searching for it in men. Mm -hmm. And thank God I found Jesus because that's when I found that, oh my gosh, everything I've been searching for is I get through my relationship with Jesus Christ. But up until then, oh yeah, I was looking for it in all the wrong places. And that impacted me deeply, shame upon shame upon shame. I felt horrible about myself. Mm -hmm. Wow. (sighs) I resonate with some parts of that and just really adopting the shame as your own identity. Mm -hmm. It became mine for a large part of my life. And I turn to what I recognize now as much to ambition and this need to strive and really achieve these different accomplishments as I did to alcohol. And I have to admit that in some ways, once I became free, it was easier to shake the dependency that I cultivated on alcohol than it was even some of those deeper issues of, you know, striving and seeking attention and always uh, working toward the next accomplishment. And I appreciate how your story really included all of that. You know, you brought the woman who reads this book into see herself and what she may be struggling with and what she may have turned to as a result of the shame that she's taken on so that she can get free of those. And in your own story, you dealt with some alcoholism. And so I just wanted to know, what did it take? What influenced you to finally get free? Once you were in a relationship with Jesus and you were married and you're you know, walking out this, this newfound desire to become free, what was the catalyst to really encourage you to do so? I think hearing other people's stories. So hearing that it was possible to get free, uh, hearing that um, God's grace applied to me too, that it wasn't just for everyone else, that uh, shame had caused me to believe a script that things I did were unforgivable. as if, you know, I almost like cheapened the work of the cross unknowingly, like, because I believed I was bad. I took on this identity of shame. I am bad. I'm unworthy. I'm not enough. I'm, the things I've done are unforgivable. And that's just such a smack in the face to the whole point of the work of the cross. And when I, that revelation hit me, I believe I was, I was in rehab at the time when that hit me. I had a lot of light bulb moments, you know, here I was like, you know, all through my twenties, popping out babies, being married, serving God in ministry. My husband and I both left our secular jobs to serve God and work in full-time ministry. I thought I was doing all the right things a Christian woman should do, but I was like, I'm not happy. 
because I had all of this undealt with stuff in me from sexual abuse from my past that I hadn't even admitted yet, hadn't even admitted to myself that certain things had happened. So all of these little T's, little traumas that added up to a big trauma, and then some of my big T's kind of all came to the surface in my early 30s. We were also leading a church at that time. We had taken over the church from his parents. So I had all this responsibility from uh, the church and it was growing. And it, like then I had three kids and I had dogs, all these responsibilities, couldn't cope. So that's when the medicating came in. Like we just introduced alcohol back into our lives on vacation and thought, mm, what's the big deal, right? It's just, you know, we're, we're over this whole religious thing. We should be able to make choices as long as we do things in moderation. Well, I quickly found out that I enjoyed it a little bit more than my husband. And, um, and it became, I became dependent very quickly. And a lot of that was the result of um, just not facing those things that had caused me pain. So the pain uh, had to be dealt with, medicated. And I was used to stuffing and numbing. I was used to, um, you know, that's all I knew. I knew the no talk rule. We don't talk about, I grew up, talk, you know, not talking about these intimate things, these things that happen in my heart. And when you're dealing with shame, like you feel like you, everybody else can share their emotions. As a pastor, I shepherded people. Like I heard them out, listened to them, you know, like I went into their world. I empathized, I cared for their families, but I couldn't do that for myself. And, uh, you know, I think a root issue there was my codependency and lack of self-esteem um, that got fractured in my childhood, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy to be loved by my caretakers. So, you know, I'm an adult, even though I'm saying at church that I'm a child of God and I'm a daughter of the King, I had to really dig deep once I got to rehab and realize that I had a problem with alcohol. That was a symptom. The real issues were my codependency, like not having self-esteem. So codependency, I thought, I thought of the world through the lenses of others. I had others esteem and not self-esteem. So when I realized that that is the thing that led me to drink, all that dysfunction from codependency is actually what was causing the pain that led me to drink. I knew that I could get free. Like the light bulb went off. I can get free from this. You mean I don't have to live in this misery? Like self, like deprecating, like I did this to myself. I had to own that. And uh, yeah, so then I was like, okay, I'm going to become a student of this thing. So I became a student of alcoholism, student of trauma, a student of codependency and shame and its impact on us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because I'm like, okay, you got me uh, and ended up in rehab at 38 years old as a wife and a mother, most humiliating experience ever. As a pastor and a leader, I thought like, just end it here. Like, I don't want to live anymore, right? That's ultimate shame. And, uh, you know, God turned it around for good in those moments where I realized not only can I get free, but then I can help other people get free. So it took the attention off of me and like back onto glorifying God, like reframing my shame, looking at it from a different angle, this thing that the enemy meant to kill me, like Genesis 50, 20, like God is going to use it to save the lives of many people. Okay. I could do that. Freedom looks good. 
freedom looks good. So I'm going to work for it. And the want to awakened inside of me, I want to get well. And when that want to wakes up, oh my gosh, let me tell you, Liv, like Jesus does so much with that willingness, the willingness. That's all he wants. Are you willing to get well? So when we admit our issues to him and give them to him, his grace comes in and floods us like nobody's business. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, like in my weakness, his, his strength is perfected. Like I can boast about my weaknesses now because every time I admit them, all I'm saying is, God, I surrender this to you. I'm nothing without you. So anyway, I could keep going on and on and brag about Jesus and his goodness and, oh, Yes, 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 and amen to all of that. Oh my goodness. Second Corinthians 12.9 is definitely one of my life verses. Our conversation will be back in just a moment. But for right now, I want to ask, are you the creative, the queen, or the conqueror? Could you be all three? I want to invite you to head over to liveduly.com and take the confident collaborations quiz. Together, we are going to walk in our calling more confidently than ever before and engage in kingdom collaborations. This two-minute quiz will help you identify your strengths and even a few areas of growth to help you be everything that God designed you to be. It's at livedooly.com slash quiz, and you can find the link in the description below. You know, I appreciate how you shared that you really were, you know, intimidated in some ways to go to rehab. You're a pastor, you're serving in ministry. And I have found that God does his greatest work when we are at the end of ourselves. One of the things that I've shared in the past is that five years ago, I was at my end. I was more depressed based upon a series of events that I'd gone through than I'd ever been. And I could not get out of bed. And this was so debilitating because I was also a ministry leader. This was so debilitating because I'd walked other people through this. And it was so debilitating because I no longer wanted to live and I didn't know how to get up because I just didn't want to. And yet I knew that I had people that I'd walked through this area with people that I had talked to about how life would be so much better on the other side. And I was in the middle, in the middle of a lot. And so when I did get up, uh, thankfully, with the help of my pastor, who also happened to be a licensed psychologist at the time, the church I went to and all of that, I was able to get up and go to therapy. And I was able to acknowledge the fact that I needed help mm -hmm. and to just, you know, in a way, reframe the shame around that. So I want to ask you if you can just encourage the ministry leader right now who has yet to find the confidence to ask for help. 
Yes, and I literally wrote a letter to readers in the back um, in the back of the book, one specifically for Christian leaders to encourage them because uh, I was the, I can relate to them. Like I can relate with the you know the thing of feeling like you have to have it all together. And here's the deal: like we are human. Like embrace your humanity, leader. Embrace your brokenness, leader embrace that you are a raggedy ragdoll without Jesus, just like the people were called to serve. So we deserve the same grace, the same scriptures that promise freedom, the same uh, work that we encourage our congregation to do on their emotional health and their physical health and all aspects of holistic healing through the word of God we deserve that for ourselves and we can't care for other people unless we um care for ourselves first huge lesson i wish i had learned earlier again that led to my rock bottom um and then like <laughs> the best gospel message you'll ever preach is a healthy marriage because it represents the gospel of jesus christ like it represents redemption it represents you know all unity in the spirit it represents all of these things so do the work to get free. I want to encourage you that like, you're not going to get fired. Deal with your stuff in private so that it doesn't have to deal with you publicly. If you deny it, if you continue down that road, it will eventually catch up with you. None of us are exempt from dealing with sin and shame. Sin and shame separates us from God. So if our profession requires us to be connected to the father, like more than the average person, I would say, because we're leading people in their relationship with Jesus, what a high responsibility. Then it is, we, it, it is our responsibility to do that, take care of ourselves. And it sounds so counterintuitive, especially if you've been, you're just a helper and server and want to help other people like I did and do, but taking care of myself is so important. Reach out for help, talk to somebody, break the, the power of shame over your life by just simply speaking it. So like, get honest with yourself. Is something you're doing out of moderation that the enemy is just sitting there waiting for you to think you have it all together, think you're good. What the minute you think you're good and you don't need to be honest about something that might be becoming an issue or might be out of moderation in your life, whether that's working too many hours into burnout. Oh my gosh, the statistics mm -hmm. that the Barna Group releases on pastors and depression, pastors mm -hmm. and uh, um, addictions, porn, all of those things, it's, it's jarring. But let's get real. Let's yeah. get honest. Like, <laughs> because yeah. the people in the congregation need us healthy. Our families need us healthy, healthy. And they are going to connect with us more when we can say, hey, we've been there and overcome. And this is how I got there. And I love 1 Corinthians um, 10, 12. And when you read it from the message version, I want, I have to read this. Can I read the scripture? Please, please do. Um, the, these are all warning markers, danger 
And the Bible says an exclamation point. Anytime there's an exclamation point, emphasis, okay? These are all the warning markers, danger in our history books written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, they at the beginning, we at the end, we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Let me tell you something. Like people have gone before you. I am I'm in that cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about saying like, dude, don't do what I did. Don't deny your emotional health. Deal with your stuff. And let me tell you, it doesn't have to be extreme like alcoholism, Mm -hmm. Like it could be food. My husband satiated his emotions with food. He was 420 pounds. He's lost hundred over 150 pounds living his best life. But his issue was public being Mm -hmm. overweight. Mine was hidden and boy, those hidden ones, they grow in darkness, bring them to the light leaders, bring them to the light, deal with it, or it's going to deal with you. So like you said, workaholism, it could be shopping. It could be like, learn from the stories of those who have gone before you and said, don't let the enemy get you. He's, he's, he's just waiting. Like he's out to kill, steal and destroy, like waiting around like a roaring lion waiting to devour us. Like it's real. When I go to AA meetings to remind myself that I'll never drink again, I can never drink again. I that I have a problem with alcohol. If I touch it, one is too many and a thousand isn't enough. So when I go to AA meetings, I'm reminding myself that I'm an overcomer. I'm not saying I am bad as an alcoholic. I'm saying I need to make sure that I'm working on my recovery. Otherwise I'm working on my relapse because alcoholism, I may be in AA, but the devil is outside in the parking lot waiting for me to come out. He's doing push-ups. Mm-hmm. waiting for me to come out of AA so he can pounce on me. So I do not act like I'm confident in me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm confident in the God in me to help me overcome, but it's going to take my honesty. So that was a long, that can apply to anyone, what I just said. But yeah. leaders, I beg you, we have a higher responsibility. Let's get real and honest. Yeah. And get yeah. free so we can help set others free. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sis, if we are not actively working on our recovery, we are working on our relapse. I don't want you to miss that. There is no shame here. We are overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. And Irene, you've shared, you know, how you have begun to walk out restoration now. In your book, you talk about how healing and restoration is a process. What does restoration look like for you now? It is the most incredible thing. What it looks like is waking up in the morning early and connecting with the Lord in fresh and new ways. Like he speaks to me and I can hear him because there's no shame from a hangover. There's no shame from a remorse, from a not remembering what I said the day before. I get to be sober. I get 
to relate and connect with God and people through the lenses of acceptance of myself and my humanity. So as I accept my brokenness, I can, and there's, and I kick shame in the face, I get to connect. Like nothing, it's like, I throw those fig leaves away. Like, God, I'm naked, here I am. Like all my sin, all my shame, you see it anyway. Like I relate with him where I felt like I had a lid before. There was a lid on my relationship with God. I was like, how come I can't, I don't, have that. I would see it at church in different people in worship. I would see it in the prayer life of my girlfriends. I would see it in the relate marriage relationships around me where they had such healthy, thriving, um, intimate relationships with their spouses. I wanted that, but there was a lid. But when I'm shame free, it's like I, there's nothing to hide. I'm living and walking in freedom. So it's like, here I am, scars, muffin top, flaws, all of it. And I'm more, more comfortable with myself today than I was when I had a six pack. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I love my scars and, um, yeah, I mean, my, my relationship with my husband is something that I have today that I never thought I could have. I never thought even existed to the, for me to the degree I have it, because we both got real. We both got honest about our junk. We both brought it to the table and did the work in counseling separately and together to heal. And then we became a part of each other's healing journey. Like I am Jimmy's blueprint for growth and he mine. And I am called to love him with the love of Christ. So that means I am called to his ugly. And mm-hmm. I am a part of redeeming his ugly and vice versa. Mm-hmm. This man has loved me through my stuff and shown me what the love, unconditional love of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. is like. And that has healed my soul in ways that I can't even describe in words. Like it's phenomenal. The relationship I have with my kids, my daughter, I celebrated my book launch this week and she um, shared that, oh my God, my 21 year old daughter who was 14 at the time during the worst of my alcoholism, she said, I thought I was never going to talk to you again when you went to rehab. I thought I hated you, but when you came back and you started doing the work and showing me that you were dedicated to your recovery, and I saw you transform and get free and kick shame in the face and admit your issues of that with alcohol and admit things from your past. She's like, I know God is real. So nobody can tell me that God is not real because I have seen him work in you, mom, and restore our relationship. The room was done. The room was done. I was done. Like my daughter found Jesus through the work I did. What? come on. Like she's a pastor's kid. Like she doesn't automatically know God just because we're pastors. She found him for real, for real and locked in her soul to the things of the Lord. When she saw her mom facing her stuff. (laughs) What? It's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Because we act like, no, we can't tell our kids stuff. We can't show them stuff. No, we reframed shame and showed our kids. We normalized that we're not perfect and you don't have to be either. And (laughs) yeah. 
Y'all, I cried when we started. <laughs> and I'm crying right now. Oh my goodness. I thought you had something in your eye no. earlier. I didn't realize you were crying. <laughs> oh, uh, I have a heart for, you know, young ladies in general and particularly those who are pastors, kids, and ministries, kids. They make such great sacrifices, um, you know, for the ministry themselves. And yeah. so I read about how, you know, you were afraid yourself as you went to rehab about what that would mean for your relationship with your children and how God just spoke to you and reminded you that he wouldn't allow any of that to have you and he would restore it. And so hearing now, you know, this testimony about how she has found Jesus in that is, is powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. I watched how my husband, I got to give him a shout out. Like he served me and served me well. He went from uh, learning that shaming me in my, because he was angry and hurt. Like he, his relationship with shame was, I'm going to shame you to try to get you to stop hurting me. You get what I'm saying? Like people don't realize the complexity of shame. And he went from that to coming and learning about alcoholism, learning about codependency and dysfunction and proper communication and how to help an addict and the people who are uh, uh, the loved ones of addicts are often most of the time just as emotionally unhealthy as the person in the addiction. So he did the work himself and began to turn that thing around and serve me mm-hmm. and restore and that my daughter saw that. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, they went from fighting every day to what they have today. Oh, yeah. I believe in God. (laughs) Mm, That is the power of restoration Mm -hmm. in the Lord. My goodness. What a testimony. All right. Everybody needs to know where they can get this book, where they can find you. But before we go there, I want to ask you if you would share a few secrets. They're not really secrets. They never are. It's just the best kept secret. So I like to call them that. The first question I have for you is where or what do you do, do you go, do you have around you to remind you to slow down? We live in such a fast-paced society. What do you do to remind yourself just to slow down? I listen to my body. So remember that disassociation that was my survival mechanism? Now I have like apps that remind me what, um, what are you feeling in your body right now? Connect with yourself right now. Irene. like, I literally went through somatic therapy where I had to learn that's a thing. And I talk about it in my book, it's a type of therapy where I got connected with this body that I had disassociated from because of sexual abuse, because of trauma, all those things. So I'm so used to just working it into the ground and ignoring it. And now it's like, where are you feeling tension in your body? Okay. It's typically my shoulders and my gut. And then I take a deep breath and I just relax it. So throughout the day, I'm taking even 10 seconds to just become aware of where I'm carrying tension and I'm caring for my body because I'm worth it. And I give myself a deep breath and I let it leave my body, the stress, the tension. So 
that's one way that I do it. Just awareness of what I'm feeling in my body. Beautiful, beautiful. Is there anything that you are reading or a podcast that you're listening to lately other than reframing your shame? (laughs) Oh my gosh, what am I not reading? Okay, Um, I'm reading The Science of Shame. It's a new one I have. Um, Like I said, I study shame. Um, Edith Eager, the gift. She wrote a book... um, the first book she wrote was, um, oh my goodness, why is the name? Uh, the Choice by okay. Edith Eager. She is a Holocaust survivor. And she, oh, this book is incredible. Wow. She's still alive. She became, she uh, survived Holocaust, came to the US, became like reframed her shame, dealt with her trauma, became a trauma therapist. And she shares her journey and the journey of her patients. Wow. It's incredible. And you hear her story through um, the, the Choice is her first book. And I just got her book, The Gift. And it talks a lot about shame. And she uses a lot of her patient stories of overcoming. And so it like I almost feel like I get a therapy session through reading her work. My goodness. Just through other people's testimonies. Yeah. My goodness, that sounds phenomenal. We're getting all three of these books starting with Reframe Your Shape. (laughs) My uh, last question for you as before we close out is Mm. what are you looking forward to? What's bringing a smile to your face these days? Hmm, I'm looking forward to the testimonies I'm going to hear, the reviews. I want to hear what God is doing in people's lives as they reframe their shame, whether it's addiction, whether it is uh, mental health issues and they're getting help and they're getting medication. They're finally being like, you know what? They're, it's okay. Like I, I'm on, I'm on medication. I take Zoloft. I have ADHD. I'm on Vyvanse and Adderall. Like I become the best version of myself when I deal with my issues. So I can't wait to hear how other people are reframing their shame. And uh, then not only how is it impacting them, but how they're going to give it away. Because mm. nothing is ever just about us. How are we empowering <sighs> other women, other people and giving it away? So I, that's what I'm looking forward to. The stories. Yes. Make every painful thing I've experienced, every painful, shameful thing my family and my children have experienced, it makes it all worth it. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I am giving away a couple of copies of this book and we want to get it into your hands, ladies. So please, please, please read this book. It is a blessing. And Irene, I'm just so incredibly grateful for you. I'm so incredibly grateful for how you are just walking so many women through their own journeys as they reframe shame. It is powerful and it is one that the Lord is using mightily. And I am praying for you. Such an honor to talk with you. Will you tell everybody where they can get the book and where they can find you? Sure. IreneRollins.com. And, uh, you know, you can follow me on social media at Irene Rollins. Super easy on all social media platforms. And you can buy my book anywhere where books are sold. It's one click away on Amazon. Um, You know, yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to Barnes and Noble today to actually see it. 
there. Yes, so. yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Make sure you have somebody go with you, take the camera, you know, so they Absolutely. get all the reactions. Yes. <laughs> we'll be following along on social for sure. As we prepare to close out, I said it once, I've said it a thousand times, I feel like such an honor to talk with you, sis. Oh my Would you pray for us? Sure. Father, I thank you for every listener. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have made a decision to give your only son to us, um, that he, he would identify with our shame, our feelings, our emotions, so that we can relate with him. He And thank you for just using the work of the cross to just conquer shame, conquer shame. And you've given us the blueprint. So I pray that every listener would just uh, just have revelation of what's holding them back from being the best version of themselves. I pray that they would look to you, look to you, the one who has conquered death, has conquered shame and despised it and show us the way forward, Lord. Show us how to overcome. Be with us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen and amen. (sighs) That just blessed my soul. And I pray that you can say the same after this conversation. If that's the case, would you be so kind as to head over to Apple Podcasts or Audible and leave a rating and review? It would truly support this podcast and let the guests know that you value their time. I know I do. Now, in between our time here on the podcast, I do want to let you know that I am at Candid Live on Instagram and at Live Duly on YouTube. It would be an honor to do life with you. I look forward to the next time. Love you.